This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Mark Stiles, your host. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Hey, folks, welcome back. Today's guest is someone I'm excited to interview, and I'm really excited to learn more about her and her leadership style and what she's teaching other people. She has three decades of experience in leadership, sales management, coaching, speaking, and training. She led her real estate team to achieve over half a billion dollars in annual sales volume. She's founder, president, and CEO of Mile One Performance Coaching, Mary Beth Gostitis. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I'm excited to be here. All right. You ready? I'm ready. ready. You ready to bust the myths? Let's do uh, Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. What is a common misconception about leadership and being an entrepreneur? Go. Oh, the one that I hear most often from entrepreneurs, and I've struggled with this myself as a serial entrepreneur, is I'm the only one who can do it. Oh, uh, I know what you mean mm. there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a self-imposed leash, right? Where it's, I'm the only one that can do it. So we, that means we don't hire, we don't leverage, uh, we get stuck in the doing of the job, not the, the planning and vision of the job and taking it to the next level. Um, I find this one to show up all the time. And I'm sorry for my background goes dark and, and light, like we're it's on fun. the dating game or something. Keeps people paying attention. Mm, very <laughs> mysterious. So let's um, talk about that. So you're digging in and you're the one who founded it. You're the one who started it. Nobody can do it. Let me just take that. I'll finish it. Let me do it. Yep. And the mindset can also be that the talk that I hear is, well, by the time I explain it to you, I could have just done it myself. Uh, and so what they don't realize is that they're putting, it's kind of like, you know, on the wheels of a, of a car, you've got the governors yes. that keep you from going too fast. It's a self-imposed governor. If, if we're going to hold on to, I'm the only one that can do it, we literally self-impose a governor on how much we can get done if it's related only to what we know. I find entrepreneurs have an amazing start energy, right? They're good at creating, they're passionate about, about the doing. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, <clears throat> I say the transition from being a, a me, all-star performer who wants to be a we running a business it's like the difference between Santa Claus and the elf. Wow. Entrepreneurs want to hang on to the elf activities. They like making the toy. They like being on the, they like the doing, but they don't easily transition into the Santa that, in, that makes certain that the workshop and all that entails is running at a high level. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And it's totally not scalable if you're going to try to do it yourself, right? You have a ceiling, you have a maximum capacity, a maximum minutes in the hour, hours in the day, days in the week, yeah. weeks in the month. Yep. So how, so what do you do? The first thing you have to do is understand that, that as an entrepreneur, that's, a pro, that's naturally what you're inclined to do. The first step mm. really is awareness, right? Got it. That, that this is going to be something that will hold me back, the governor on the car. Second thing they have to do is realize, do I know how 
do I know how to go from being an elf to a Santa Claus? Because an elf with a great toy that they're great at making uh, needs a different skill set. And so do they, do they possess the skill set? Do they know how to, how to discern if they have the skill set? And do they know where to go find it? And are they committed to doing that? And where are their weaknesses? And are they vulnerable enough to accept that they actually have weaknesses? Yeah. And I find for, for many entrepreneurs, weaknesses, we all have them. Mm. We know we have them, but we hide them. Mm. Right? We just hide them. And so so that that's a growth process that I find when I work with entrepreneurs is getting real. We got to get real and then we got to get right. Um, and that sometimes takes outside influence to help do that. And it's it takes the ability to say, I need help. Yeah. Right. I can't control this by myself. I can't get Correct. this to where I want it to be by myself. Mm -hmm. So awareness is step one. Okay. I am aware of what I've done. I'm working 120 hours a week. I never see my family. I'm passionate about this. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that can do this, but is that true? Can I be replaced in certain places? Right. I'm, I'm doing payroll. I'm doing vision. I can't, I don't have time to do any marketing. Mm -hmm. Correct. And what I find oftentimes is that they, we, we're all replaceable, right? Mm -hmm. We're all replaceable. And, and what most people, I think as entrepreneurs, we have a, a value for freedom. So most people get in the business, they want right. freedom, right? And then they put themselves in a situation where they're anything but free. Right. Because it's, it's still reliant on what their hands can physically do. It's reliant on being held back for fear of hiring the wrong person um, and then, and then, or making the right person the wrong person by not knowing how to lead them. Um, oftentimes I find people hire either out of pain when it's gotten to the point, it's like, you know, that the last, the straw in the camel's back, it's like falling. It's going to break at any moment and they just hire out of pain. They take the first body that's half breathing and they give them a job mm. or they hire someone because they feel a connection, which generally means you're hiring yourself, which is disastrous. Right. So there needs to be, it's, it's an art and a science to building a team. And when you build an organization and you build a team as an entrepreneur, you need to think of the company as one brain, one entity. And all the, the people that serve on that team have to serve a different function so that when it comes together, it, it acts as one unit. Does that make sense? One mastermind, right? One mastermind. And it's not the only the mind of the entrepreneur. It's not simply that mind and attaching on. It's coming together. As Absolutely. The entrepreneur generally has a lot of blind spots. We have a lot of blind spots. Mm where we can only sort of see the possibility. That's what makes us entrepreneurs. We're optimistic. We get excited about possibility. We love change. We love creativity. That has a massive um, kind of uh, breeding ground for, for um, blind spot, right. process, procedure, detail, execution. And so one of the things that, that I do with people is to build the team based on using a tool, like a behavioral assessments. 
where we say there's drivers and there's influencers and there's support and then there's there's detail and you need all four of those presence for a leadership team to high function and nobody's comfortable being in all of those roles all of the time it's virtually no. impossible it is absolutely virtually impossible and when someone is in that role if you're in a role that's mismatched to you you're not aligned to it behaviorally yeah you could learn how to do it but you will never do it at a high level and you will not be able to sustain it because you're not comfortable you don't enjoy it it doesn't give you purpose it and it also just takes so much more energy yeah. out of you to do the job i'll give you an example so i teach people sales skills, right? I led a real estate company. I teach people how to sell real estate, lead generation, that sort of thing. And if I know that someone's behavioral style is a maybe a compliant or a support, and I'll say to them, hey, did you lead generate today? And they say, absolutely. I could look at them and say, no, you didn't. <laughs> and they'll say, how do you know? And I say, because you look too good. Because that behavior is so far out of your natural behavioral style when you do it, it's gonna, you, you're going to look tired. You're going to look like you're wiped out because you are. Because you're doing something that you're not comfortable doing. Yeah. So it takes yeah. more energy out of you and you're fatigued. Yeah. And... Correct. Correct. So how and do the you same fit, is true. How do you, how do you fit those people in the right position so you're not putting that square peg in the round hole? Well, again, every role, every job in an organization sort of has a behavioral profile that supports it. One thing that we can, and that's, that's a tool, it's not a 100% pass-fail, because what we know is stronger than, than the behavioral profile is what someone's big why for doing it in the first place. We'll also determine how long you can do it for. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've got people that behaviorally shouldn't have done what they've done on paper. But their big why was so strong, it literally pulled them through the exhaustion, through the frustration, through the discomfort. And they were able to do it for a long period of time and get great success. Um, so the first thing is understanding who you are mm. behaviorally. Mm. Most that, That's not a training most people ever get. right? Behaviorally, that, what, what am I wired for? That's the self-awareness too, that people resist so desperately too, right? Yeah. They think yeah. they understand themselves. They're quote, faking to make it, right? Fake it to make mm -hmm. it or mm -hmm. square peg round hole. But to sit back and say, you know what? This isn't comfortable. This is not in my personality. This is not in my makeup. Mm -hmm. To be able to admit that and and be aware of it is, it's a, it's a maturation that, you know, some of us never yeah. get to, right? Well, I think it's also just, was it ever introduced to right. someone as an option? It wasn't until I knew it, I didn't know it, right? right? Exactly. And so when we look at behavior profiles, I believe, I truly believe that every person has a superpower. And I believe that every person has a kryptonite. Mm. And so when we look at hiring for roles in the organization, when you match someone's superpower to the job, success is, I mean, just... Just, you, you got it, you got right. it. When we hire people whose the requirement of the job is actually their kryptonite, that's where there's suffering. That's where there's burnout. That's where there's dissatisfaction. Um, loss of, you know, not feeling fulfilled, mm. that sort of thing. So when we look at hiring 
and we look at building teams and building organizations, it first starts with you. What's your superpower? What's your kryptonite? How do you know? And then what needs to be filled in around you such that all the needs of the organization are filled and when it's filled with people in their superpower in each role, man, you have a team that is unbeatable. How do you scratch? How do how do you scratch into that though? How do you figure out those superpowers and those kryptonites to, to stay away from? So there's many different ways to do it. The one that I typically will use is it's called the DISC. D I S C. Okay. There's Myers Briggs. There's there's all kinds of of behavioral assessments. I will caution you that taking something online without having someone validate it, mm. it may or may not be accurate. Right. It's like right? Zillow. Like oh. Don't. <laughs> Even swear at me on this podcast because that language. <laughs> yes, it's like, <laughs> like well, Zillow said. Zillow said right. Zillow said, um, and so it's really about about having a, a good conversation around mm. what the assessment shows to validate is this in fact true or not true. Just taking the assessment itself might be like a party trick. Right. right. Doing it in conjunction with a conversation with someone that can help you discern what's what's really there for you and not will make all the difference. And explaining it to you. Right. Explaining the differences yeah. and, and, and working through through those things. So somebody has taken the disk analysis. They determine that maybe they're an SC or they're a DI or they're mm -hmm. a random combination of the two. Then do you look at that organizational chart and say, what are you doing over here with the personality mm -hmm. type that should be over here? Mm -hmm. Yep. The first thing that we do is we plot. So if I were coming in, let's just say to your organization, yeah. I would literally have everyone on your team take the assessment. Yeah. We would then meet as a team and we would plot everyone on, on the wheel, basically, which is think of it like one big brain. And we would easily see this is where your organization is very strong. This is the opportunity. This is what's not being touched at all. It gives us a lot of insight in terms of, um, are we covering all four of those, um, think of it like facets of the business, right? Yeah. The driver, the visionary, the support role, and then the compliance. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how we would use it in a, on a leadership team perspective. It's amazing when I've used this with groups, what you find out. And generally, when you have a leader that hired um, out of pain or likeness, they're all on one section. Right. It's like a canoe that has all the weight on one side. And you're like, man, you're one wave away from going under. Right. You're one bad thing away. And your team doesn't even know it's coming. Because you don't have that holistic brain you were talking about, that master. You don't have the vision. You don't have a vision. You don't have as much clarity around the business, in the business, um, as you would if you had all of those pieces lined up. So what? let's ask you about uh, the self-helpers right out there, the do-it-yourselfers okay. who are hearing this. So where would they get some resources around starting there? I mean, the one book that I read, The E-Myth, that started it all for me. And that was no looking back. It, I said to myself, okay, I get it. This is this is me. Where do we go? 
and we've evolved through that and the disk and the team and the EOS, where do you recommend somebody who's in the position of the doer, the technician, mm -hmm. the visionary that says all hats, where do they start? Coach? Oh, they're so, well, I think for sure a coach is one, yeah. right? Because they, they, because everyone's situation is unique mm. and a good coach will help you find, well, what's the best resource for you based on where you're at and who you are? Right. For some, I might say, go right to disc. For others, I might say, you know, there's, there's, there's books I would recommend. Uh, Dysfunctions of a Team is one of my favorites. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Five Dysfunctions um, of a Team. Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Leoncini. I do all kinds of um, work with with um, organizations just around that concept. And what's that but, concept? So the concept is that there are five layers to make a team high functioning. And the, the long and short of it is each step builds on the step before. And the very first step in the team being, and this is where we see it go wrong most of the time, is lack of trust within the team. Mm. And that means vulnerability, lack of vulnerability. So being able to say, I don't understand. I don't agree. Can you help me? Um, it, it's, it's a lack of being willing to put yourself out there. And if we don't have lack of trust, we're not able to move on to the second step, which is um, conflict. They have fear of conflict. The fact of the matter is teams, if, if, if your team is coming to you and saying everything is great yeah. and, and they're shaking their head and they're nodding in agreement, nine times out of 10, you can bet there's a meeting after the meeting, right? You can bet that they're telling you what you want to hear and they're not telling you the truth. And I see that result in a lot of goals set, a lot of plans made, and not a lot of execution. Right. And so that's just a great book. I've only given you two of the steps, but that's a great book um, for someone that's just saying, let me understand the dynamics, right, uh, of, of my team and, and maybe how it needs to function. So the first is definitely, yeah, I hate, I mean, hire a coach because they will yeah. be able to tell you, they'll dive in a little bit with you first. So let's talk about that for a second, because now you're talking about the mindset of this do-it-yourselfer, right? So what's the ROI? How do I get my head around this? When am I going to be ready? It still comes back to that self-awareness. I'm going to, I could do it better myself. Who needs a coach? I, I, I'll just read another book. Or at what point is that jumping off point of, okay, I need to invest in my business? Again, it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I would say day one is always a good time. And not just because I am a coach, but because... I have had the experience myself of years of being coached that, that when you are starting something, we are all at a place, you know, there's the stair steps of learning, right? And the first, the first stop is unconscious incompetence. Right. And that's the, I don't know what I don't know phase. And so when we try to solve a problem that we don't even know we have by ourselves, can you see where that could go wrong? Yeah. You're not even seeing the problem at that point. And the problem you name is the problem you'll solve. And what I see is people are naming the wrong problem. They're spending all this time, all this energy, and they're naming the wrong problem. And the truth is, usually the problem is us. Right. As the Always. Person. 
Yeah. Always. And we're hiding it, right? We hiding know it. it. Hiding it. We'll fight through it. We'll grind through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're not going to admit it. Well, and I don't know. I guess I don't know the actual statistic. Maybe you do. What's the failure rate on an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, they say it all the time, right? One in five businesses survive the first year. And then there's a, another um, return within the first five years that is mm-hmm. large. And I know it's different industry to industry. I can tell you in real estate, the numbers are, it's, 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 it's gross. It's a gross number, but it truly is. About 70 to 80% will fail in the first two years. Right. Seven to eight out of 10 people that started it with hopes and dreams and goals and energy and excitement will fail in two years. And here's why. There's a natural process we go through. Whenever we try to go from something that we know, right? We all have this sort of, think of it like a lid. Sometimes we can even almost feel it. Have you ever felt that where you, you're like, I'm doing all I know to do and it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And you can almost feel like this pressure that comes on, on us that says, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm doing everything I know how. We call that living in entrepreneurial mode. That's where we generally want to live as, as um, entrepreneurs. It means we bring excitement, enthusiasm, energy, right? We bring all of this stuff and we do what we believe to be true. And then that lid comes on us that says it's not working. We have three choices. Choice number one is we can hold there. I can stay, right? And that means I'm going to accept whatever results I'm getting. It might not be what I wanted. Good's good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'll lower my expectations. I'll lower my, um, my, my goals. I'll lower my standards for what I wanted for my life. Because I'm just, it, good's good enough. So that's option number one. Mm-hmm. Option number two is fold. I'm just going to quit. And that's where you see in my business, right? Seven, eight out of 10. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. They're going to fold. Entrepreneurs, you know, in, in restaurants, the number might be different. In every industry, it might be a little different. But for the people that said, I'm doing everything I know to, to do, not good enough. I can't live this way. I'm going to quit. The third option is to is to is to rise and the way that we rise is to do a few things first thing we do is we say we define the goal we look at a model and system that support what it is that we want to do who's done it before what did they do if i want to make a chocolate cake why wouldn't i just go find a recipe of the best chocolate cake i can find and use it mm. instead of going to my kitchen and spending time, energy, money, resources on trying to figure out how to do it myself. Can't I just find one that's been done at a high level and go make it that way? Such a great analogy too, right? Because you can almost visualize going in the kitchen. I think I need an egg. I think I need some flour. Mix it up. It. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. And then I'm two years down the road, right? Yeah. Still stirring through the business and I'm making ends meet. I'm living a comfortable life. I'm doing okay. Good enough. I'm working a little bit more than I really want to. I'm not quite where I visualized I would be here. Mm-hmm. So double down. It's good enough. 
double down, invest, get a coach. Mm. Well, I I feel like that's that's the path, right? To go in if, if we don't want to stay. Well, you need help. You need help you need to help. accelerate. You can't you do it help. yourself. At the end of the day, you cannot do it alone. Nope. Nope. And again, that's where you could find a model on your own if you choose to. Yeah. A model in a system. The secret sauce of that is accountability. Always. It's like that delicious sauce on a on a Big Mac, right? Delicious. That's the deliciousness of that system is you need accountability. It's the secret sauce. And so when we add accountability to a model and system that's proven, your we can predict we can predict your success because we know the measures. And so it's focus, models, systems, and accountability, and that's what leads to rise. Most of us that are entrepreneurial. We either lower to 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 that place of goods good enough, mm-hmm. or or we fold. The thing about the chocolate cake analogy is, even if you did it entrepreneurially and you went in your pantry and you just took a wing it approach, and you made a delicious cake, could you duplicate it? Right, right. You don't have the process. You don't have the recipe. You didn't write it down. Wow. Could you do it again? Right. And again and again and again. And could you decide I'm going to I'm going to make something I'm what can I add? How can I make it bigger? How can I make it better? How can I make more? We can't scale it when we don't know the recipe that got us there in the first place. And is that what you're seeing with real estate professionals for the most part, you know, they I know I'd be good at real estate. I've watched HGTV. I I know every I bought a couple mm. of houses. I I can I can do this. Is it that they simply don't know how to build that team and build that process or is it that maybe they're you see that they're in the wrong personality type? Like they're trying to call expireds when they would be better off teaching classes and and networking mm. through a different medium. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, the the thing that I often see is that number one, people's perception of what it is mm. is inaccurate when they decide. They've gotten their perspective of what real estate is, either by being a consumer, right? I met someone at a house, showed a property, that seemed fun, mm. right? I met them at an open house. They had snacks. They drove a nice car. They had nice clothes. That looks nice. It looks. Um, or they or they're watching HGTV. It always works out on right. HGTV. Right? It's easy. So we base our decision to do it with without the actual information of what it is we're is required. And are we willing to pay that price? And so real estate is not about houses. Houses are widgets, like anything we're selling, right? The business is actually lead generation. Every business is a lead generation business. I don't care what it is. And if we don't master the art of lead generation, we don't have any customers. And so I think with real estate specifically, Mark, people fall in love with the idea or the perception of what it is. I like houses. I like helping people. I have nights and weekends. This is a big business like any other. And so... I find when people are 
struggling, it could be that they're in the wrong industry because they didn't know enough about it when they chose it. But if right. they're good at it, they can't be great without understanding the team, the mastermind, what their weaknesses are, the kryptonite, mm -hmm. if you will. The kryptonite, yeah. And I coach people that are single, single, you know, agents, solo entrepreneurs, we call them. And I have people that run big, big teams. And I have people that are not in real estate that I coach. Um, different levels, different devils. Yeah. And, yeah. and it really is um, understanding what skills are required of me right now. And when we want to go from a single person operator to a we building a team, building a company, it's no longer about the product or service. It's now about leadership. It's now about leadership. And I, I kind of work through a formula that's always in my mind and it's people, people plus process, less problems equals profit. I like it. Right. And so it starts with people. Always. Always. And so, it, it, you know, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I feel like for an entrepreneur, we know we bet on ourselves or we wouldn't have gone out on our own in the first place. Yeah. We bet on ourselves and we bet on our grit and grind and effort and tireless, right? Work ethic to build something. We have to understand we all have a lid. We might have different capacities to reach it, but we all have it. And when people want to um, be a solopreneur, that's certainly their choice and there's no judgment, but there's also no way out. Right. It's a trap. It's a trap. Well, it's kind of like that. Um, if you've read, I'm sure you've read Cash Flow Quadrant by Kiyosaki. Oh, yeah. Love right? it. And it says, when, you're, when you are self-employed, you own the job. Right. If it's just you, but you still have a job. And when you stop, it stops. And so the mindset of an entrepreneur to get to what they thought it was in the first place, which was freedom, right? Flexibility is why most of us did it, is we've got to go to a business, which means I own, uh, others do the job. I don't have that job anymore. So in that evolution, let's segue back to little MB. So mm. we've learned a lot of, from you. Let's learn a little bit about you. So where are you from? Where were you raised, MB? I was born in a little town in New Hampshire, Pelham, New Hampshire. It's right on the border. Oh, yeah. Of Massachusetts. Yep. Yep. So I was born uh, in Pelham. I am the youngest of six children. So, you know, I don't know if you if you're from a big family, but basically that means by the time they get to six, good luck. You're on your own. <laughs> right. I'm the youngest of five, so we are kids. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Nobody's ooing and ahhing over you when you're the last of six, right? <laughs> no. It's like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> We've been there, done that. You that's can, right. You could figure it out. That's right. That's so you right. figured it out. So you went through, how did you get to to become a coach? Like, well, give, give me the uh, evolution from um Oh, gosh. That, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a strange and twisted a little bit tale. I, I was an entrepreneur as long as I can remember. From my earliest memories, Cool. I remember selling rocks um from a fish tank you know, like those pink they're like little yeah. the teeny ones like pink and blue and like yep. just fun fun colors 
I found them in somewhere. And I remember setting up a table outside in the driveway and selling rocks to my, like, what? Who does this? But I was like, these are pretty. I can sell them. So I started selling rocks. And then I started, I, I started a new business called Pick Up Dog Crap before there was actual uh. places to do this. So I went door to door to my neighbors and I said, I'll pick up your dog poop for like a dollar. And so entrepreneurial spirit has always been alive and well. Wow. Problem solved, right? Nobody likes to pick up their dog poop, but they love to let their dog out so they don't poop in the house. And uh -huh. I didn't like it either. Yeah. I did like the dollar, right? Yeah, you I did, did like the dollar. And so I, I've always had that spirit. I did not come from wealth. Mm. I did not come from money. I was, as I said, I was the last of six in a, in a, in a three bedroom little ranch. We had really very little. Um, I didn't have, um, I didn't have a lot of those things that would traditionally set you up for success. Yeah. Right? I didn't have this solid collegiate education. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of those things. So I had to make up in work ethic. Um, I started in just sort of, I would always start in an entry-level job service or sales management, and, and then I would quickly go into management. So I knew early on, God, this leadership thing keeps showing up, mm. right? Even as a young 20-something, I would start out at the front desk and I would, within six months, I would be leading a, leading a team. So I knew leadership was for me. But then I thought, but working for somebody else isn't. And so in um, 1998, I got into real estate and I didn't know what that meant. I, like most people, also thought it was HGTV. Mm -hmm. um, and I started my own, you know, I went to work for a large company and started my real estate business. Floundered like most people did. I realized that the reason I got into it, which was wanting freedom, and the ability to have freedom conflicted. Mm. And so the first six months of my career, I don't think I sold much of anything because I, I, I didn't understand um, some of the fundamental concepts of, of time management, right? Discipline. I just was in it for the freedom that got in the way for a little bit. So the freedom can be intoxicating and actually be a negative, right? Because now you're free. You have no guardrails, but you have no recipe either, right? I, I find when I hear, and I coach a lot of people coming in the business, and when I hear, you know, I always ask the question, so what brings you into the business? What yeah. excites you most about it? And they say, I like people, I like houses, and I like to have a free schedule. I go, ooh, <laughs> accident waiting to happen. Wrong right? business. Like, intervention, right? And I go, intervention time. Um and so I, I, I started in real estate, decided that that was it. I was never going to work for somebody else again, but for myself. And did, did well. And in 2006, uh, I got a call from Keller Williams. They were just coming to our area. They wanted to start a franchise. People thought we sold paint. Like, I'm like, that's Sherman Williams, but okay. Yeah. And uh, so we started, we started in 2006, timing's everything. You know, it happened in 2007 yeah. and 2008. In real estate and we we grew the company uh to the largest in our in our market still there today is the number one real estate office in our market over 250 real estate agents and uh so many billions in real estate at this yeah. point 
And what I learned in that process that's got me to where I am now is that my true passion, Mark, was in meaningful conversations, right? My true passion was in coaching. It was in training. It was in inspiring people. It was in motivating people. That's, that was a 10-year breeding ground for me from 2006 to 2016. It was a 10-year breeding ground where I was CEO. Suddenly, I'm CEO of this company, right? And that's I had what to happens. figure it out. That's what happens with MB. She starts out somewhere and ends up leading, leading the organization every time. She's selling colored rocks from a fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> well, you rise, right? You rise to the top right. each time. Can I go back to that first six months, though? Because that's yeah. a pivotal, pivotal moment where a lot of people probably start to question, am I in the right industry, right? So you're coaching these people through that first six months where... Am I in it? I, I haven't sold anything. Am I doing the right things? I'm supposed mm -hmm. to have freedom, but I'm not doing the right things. What made you realize I'm going to stick it out? I'm still going to do this because I'm going to succeed, or I gotta I gotta make a move here and do something different. I had to surrender. Yeah. I had to realize that I got in the business to be my own boss, and that also did not mean that I knew everything. It meant it you know it meant that I earned the right to decide what I would do, but I still had to follow a model. Mm. And so I remember the lid I talked about, yeah. right? When I see people, they call, we actually call it E to P, the model. And I know that when somebody's first three to six months, they're going to hit it. And if they don't have the results they wanted, expected, you know, um, they're going to have to make those choices. Luckily, I chose the rise path. I got enrolled in the class. I went from unconscious incompetence where I didn't know what to do to, okay, well, now I'm consciously incompetent. Now I realize mm. what I don't know. And then I had to go find training and coaching that was appropriate for what I needed. But it all started with a decision and a commitment, right? And a willingness to say, help me, help me. So if you... Um, so MB, if you were to go back to that little girl selling the rocks and mm -hmm. give her that piece of advice of what would save you time, energy, and and uh, emotional drain, what would that advice be? Oh God, there's so many things I would <laughs> tell her. Um, so many things I would tell her. I would first tell her to trust yourself. Um, I would tell her that um, go faster. I would tell her to go faster. I would tell her that your beginning of having no money and having, you know, I wasn't surrounded with conversations around, hey, what college are you going to go to? Uh, I was surrounded by people that worked in factories. So the idea of being more just really wasn't, wasn't present. Um, I would tell her that your beginning doesn't determine your destiny. I would tell her that. I would tell her that your thoughts, your beliefs, your habits, your work ethic does. And you control those. And, and the last thing I would tell her, which really has been a struggle, is that other people's opinion of you is none of your business. None of your business. And it's none of your business, what other people think. So, so I, would, I would tell her that trust yourself and what other people think, none of your business. Don't worry about it. That's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, you can tell people to ignore it 
but to say it's none of your business is another another way of saying it mm -hmm. that is way more impactful yeah it's none of your business and i feel like i you know that i made it my business more than it needed to be and that slowed me down or it can give you fear or it can give you limiting beliefs you know when i looked around that was one of the beautiful things i learned with eo is i went and suddenly i'm in a room with these uber successful people from all walks of life i'm in a forum where everybody is is highly educated from amazing schools have had amazing experiences and i'm like gosh i'm the odd man out and my journey with the o has helped me to realize that my entire path has got me to this point with grit and determination right and and just commitment and desire and that i'm worthy of it as is every other entrepreneur we don't need to have paper or you know certain things to make us feel that we are worthy and deserving and capable and confident and that's what eo did for me was it made me say i've earned my seat at this table and it allowed me to see the gifts that i could share with other people that you could add value to these people that you thought were beyond reach right beyond approach and you realize not only can i add value to them from where i have been but they share the same fears and and hesitations that i have and mm -hmm. we can work together yeah to help and oftentimes other. what i learned too was when they heard my story right when they heard my truth and my you know my journey and they were like holy crap you did all of that and you didn't have all this stuff right my god like that's yeah so I feel like um, it's just given me a different perspective um, and a different, different awareness around where I belong. And does that make sense? The it way I'm saying totally there? makes sense. I love it. I love everything about it. Now you're coaching. That's your primary passion. Now you're helping people. You seem like you were your first pupil, if you will, when you first made that realization six months in that I need a recipe, but you're coaching folks. What are you doing for fun? How are you having that freedom, that balance that you, you were yeah. seeking from the very beginning? Um, I, well, I guess I have a lot of, I have a lot of, um, interest. Most of them have to do with being around family and friends. I'm yeah. wildly social, right? I've got, we've got two children and I've got two stepchildren and, um, I love to be outdoors kayaking. We have a cute little place on a lake. I love to be out on the water. Um, I, I love to read. I love to learn. Um, for fun, I became a Reiki practitioner, master practitioner. What? Mm -hmm. Tell yep, me about just, that. I, I just, it started selfishly enough. It started with my daughter who was having some medical problems yeah. um, back in uh five or six years ago. And um, I learned it because I thought it would help her. Got it. And so I learned it for my own sort of like to try to help my daughter. And what I learned was um, I've always believed in energy, always believed in energy. And I realized that there, there, I had such an opportunity to help people, help them heal, uh, help them gain clarity, 
So I look at Reiki, honestly, Mark, as just another leg of coaching. Uh I just feel like, weird to say this, but in my mind, I tell myself that I'm a healer of mind, body, and spirit. I love it. Right? And and so that's where the Reiki came in. And and I, I use it on clients to this day when they may just need to find their own answers and can't relax. They might need... I don't know. It's just something that I, I, I find tremendous value. And so I do that for fun. So for, for, those, for those listeners, including me, who don't really truly know what Reiki is, help me understand mm-hmm. what it is. I understand the energy in Chi, but how is it? How is the actual uh, process? So the, the process is it's a healing modality. Yeah. Ancient healing modality um, from, from the East. And it is basically... Energetic healing, where you are channeling um, a healing source, it goes through the practitioner's hands and into the receiver. And it could be either in person or remote, believe it or not. You don't need to be in the room. Mm -hmm. You don't even need to be in the room. Um, But it is very, very useful for people that struggle with um, either physical pain, depression, anxiety, just need to relax. I have people that say that I have ADHD and they say it feels like, um, they said it's the only time when my brain can quiet is when I'm actually in the session. So that I learned, I I learned kind of selfishly, but also, uh, you know, uh, ask myself, when's the last time I learned something new? And Reiki came to my mind, so I did it. I love it. I love it. It's like the full, the full gamut. You have the whole... Yeah. You have the whole thing. I am fascinated by behavior. I'm fascinated by people. I love people and I love to help people and I love to see people succeed. And so in addition to Reiki, uh, I've become an NLP master practitioner. That's neuro-linguistic programming. Um, And so that sort of tackles another side of things, Mm. right? The unconscious mind, the belief systems that one may have, limiting decisions. So we use those modalities as well in coaching when we butt up against a belief system that's interfering with a goal. So we can do certain things to, to dive deep, certain things to release, remove, reframe. Um, but it's all about how somebody, you know, their, what's their mindset. Coaching is more about how you think than right. what you do. Wow. So let me ask you this. How would someone get in touch with you? What is the best way to reach you and connect with you? My cell phone number. I'll give you that to start with. Yeah. That's 603-305-3552. You can find me on LinkedIn. Mary Beth uh, with the MB, Gustitis. You'll find me there. You could also... Find me on Facebook. It's Mary Beth Barrett Gustitis. That's my maiden name. Or you could email me. Let's do it. And you can email me at mbmile1 at gmail.com. mbmile1 at gmail.com. And that's mile one mile coaching. Mile one. What mile is it? one. Yep. Correct. Mile one. I like it. Mile one. Got to start at mile one, right? Well, when, when I came up with that name, so Miles, Miles stands for motiv- Motivation, Inspiration, Leadership, and Empowerment. And the one 
means there's always more to go. Uh, so I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. MB, MB, thank you so much for okay. sharing. This has been really amazing. And I, I learned a tremendous amount. I've got a bunch of notes here and books to go back to and and wisdom to share. I can't wait to share this with people because I think there's a lot of people sitting in my seat who uh, who, who can't wait to listen to this. So thank you so, so You're very welcome. much. You're welcome. And I guess the last thing I'll say to you is my, I encourage entrepreneurs out there to know that um, because I coach a lot of them, everybody struggles with the same thing. You don't lack anything. Um, you're enough. You just need some strategies behind you. So don't be afraid to reach out for help. Um, and and the resources are out there for you. And you heard them, folks. MB gave you those. And don't forget, they're in the show notes. So if you're scrambling for a pen, just o- <laughs> open up open up where you're at and, and click right through. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, MB. That is it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, please tell someone about this podcast, share it and share the love. Thank you again, MB. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to spend some time with you today. And this has been another exciting episode of Leadership in Action. We will see you next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.